And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Uh, it's about to launch this mega marketing campaign. I mean, I'm just talking like worldwide, Super Bowl, all of it. That you name it. Bold. it well, well, yeah, I was going to get bold with my marketing. And the problem is, is I'm not really sure that we have the staff to handle the influx of new business and inquiry that's going to come. So I thought I'd bring in an expert and someone that could talk to us about how we're going to not only handle the accounts we already have, but potentially what we're going to do with the marketing influx that's going to come from my mega campaign. So with us today, I've got Dana Thomas, who is the owner and I believe the CEO and founder of Get Bold Marketing. Hi, Dana. Good morning. How are you? Were we right about all those things? Yeah, I uh, wash the dishes, clean the floors, and sometimes go after new business. Yeah, and those are all important things. But you're so Get Bold Marketing, you're out of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, kind of over there near St. Louis, but close enough to Kansas City. You're you're in the We're in close. the show me state of Missouri. Yeah. So before we get too before before we get too deep into this mega campaign I want to launch, can you give us a little bit of backstory about yourself and uh, Get Bold Marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So Bold started in 2008, so 13, 12, 13 years ago. Started in my basement. I was in the corporate world for marketing and just decided that I got really frustrated with all of the restrictions and the rules that didn't make sense and all of the guidelines that held back any marketing efforts or any um, success for different companies that I worked for. So I decided to, to launch out on my own. I started with several physicians, private healthcare practices, some urgent cares, and some nonprofits. And it grew in rapid pace. Um, and then um, I actually started scaling it back. And so I've gone through the whole iteration of a business from startup to growth to multiple locations and then downsizing. So you mentioned that in the corporate world, you felt that some things were restricting you. Can you give us a couple examples? You don't have to be overly specific, but what kind of things, what, what, what was the problem that you were solving? Yeah, I think for one, it was decision making. So when there's opportunities, especially in a business environment, if you don't, I believe if you don't take advantage and make a decision quick, then you could get left behind or miss out. Um, and there's opportunities that you realize you don't need to take advantage of. But if there's one that comes along and you think this is great for our business or where we're headed, um, sometimes you have to go through 15 chains of command to get it done. And by the time the decision is made on the other end, it's not even applicable anymore. So that got really frustrating. And then you have people in those organizations, just because they've worked there 20 years, are allowed to stay. And usually those are the ones holding back innovation. And I'm either you get on the bus and move with me or you can find somewhere else to work has been my philosophy ever since then. Watson, you have a big old grin on your face. What do you have to say, my friend? Oh, I just, the, the comment about, you know, companies that have these employees that have worked there forever, that uh, they're not racehorses, they're not workhorses, they're just need to be put out to pasture, but um, nobody will do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I, I just because you've been somewhere for a long time definitely doesn't mean you know what's best. I think that that's fair to say. And then in some cases, it can also probably, I mean, a lot of those employees can provide you with historical and organizational insight from some of the past failures. And then one of the things that we're going to talk about today is, is, you know, any business is out seeking new clients and customers, but so many aren't necessarily prepared to handle the ones that they have and or aren't maximizing or growing the relationships with the ones that they have. So Dana, what 
where, where do you want to start as far as like in building your own internal sales culture and marketing culture? What's, where's a good place for us to start? You know, a good place to start is first looking at what is the business facing. So we will approach things similarly, but also differently, if that makes any sense. Um, if a business is looking to do an acquisition or a merger, um, let's say that they're looking to launch a new product or service, that's a little bit of a pivot for the company. Um, or maybe they have a transition in leadership. All of those things impact employees personally. Um, some handle change better than others. Some get very anxiety ridden. Um, and if communication isn't flowing properly, then you could have a complete failure with a launch or a pivot of a company. So we like to first start like whatever the business is about to do. Let's first look internally. Okay. So, and, and, you know, I, as companies get bigger, the, the whole aspect of communication becomes a little bit, well, it becomes intricate and sometimes disconnected. I've worked, you know, back when I actually had jobs for people not named Matt, meaning working for myself, I, uh, I've worked for a couple different companies and at times it felt like there was like this giant, like imagine just running the great wall of China right down the middle of the office. And you have the marketing department, which wasn't communicating with the product department, which wasn't communicating with the warehouse. And in some cases you might run a, a promo and because of that lack of communication, you didn't realize that there was a six month wait for whatever it is that you were mm -hmm. promoting. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is that the kind of stuff you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. When I have conversations with the owner of a company, it is very different with the conversation with the sales director, the HR manager, and then the frontline supervisor or frontline staff. They all have a very different perspective um, and even a different perception of what's happening in the company. And that's where I think is, is your make or break, break point to growth and doing growth successfully without it being so bumpy um, along the way. And that's what you would try to have happen. I've learned over these conversations over the last 12 years is that my business that had four people starting out to 26 people now back to 13 people um, is the exact same, um, or we have the same challenges that we face as some of my clients who have 3000 employees and have been in business 40 years. So it's scaled differently, but we have the same challenges. Matt, recently, like within the last 12 months at Stackify, you've put an uh, enhanced uh, focus on account-based marketing. What are some of the things that you guys have figured out? Well, the, the hardest part with any kind of marketing is identifying who your target customer is. And for Stackify, our product um, is used by software development teams, which is literally millions of potential customers, right? All over the world. I mean, so we have customers in 60, 70 different countries and which still is kind of mind boggling. But when you think about marketing, you're thinking about where are we going to spend money? Who are we going to focus on? It's a really stupid idea to say, I'm going to focus on all of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you Unless know, you've got a really nice budget. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a better ROI in some segments there. And that's the hard part of being an entrepreneur is also forcing yourself to think that way because we get up every morning and we're like, we want to solve all the world's problems. We want to help everybody. You know, we want every customer when you're actually better off saying, you know what, those thousand people over there are the absolute perfect people. And I'm going to do everything in the world to get those thousand people. Um, but that's really counterintuitive to a lot of people. Um, and that's been a hard lesson for us is you're you're a lot better off to identify those thousand people and know, okay, we can win 80% of their business because we just have the absolute perfect product instead of saying, we're going to win 0.00001% of the million, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? It's really hard. But, we hear that um, a lot with uh, companies who say, um, well, if we ask them what sets you apart from your competitors, they'll say, well, our customer service. And I always give a big bullshit. It's not customer service because you can have one employee who has an off day and your customer service just tank compared to your competitors because the frontline person was having a great day. So you can't bank it on serve customer service. Um, so I think it goes back to what you were just saying is identifying who is it you're trying yeah. to reach and what do they care? It's not what well, you you offer great. And and actually for Stackify, customer service is a big differentiator for us. Um, 
And actually, the reason why is when people come in and they try our product, a lot of times they're also trying our competitor's product. Mm-hmm. And they'll run into little issues, have little questions. And we usually get back in less than an hour to their questions, where our competitors get back like two days later. Mm-hmm. So in that case, like customer service makes a big difference for us. Now, obviously, they wouldn't have got that far if we didn't have a good product and other good marketing and things like that. They even got them that far. But, um, you know, for us, it's always just been the challenge of trying to identify who is the perfect customer for us. How do we find those people trying to find because it's not like we're looking for people in a specific industry where there's like or list somewhere it's you know when you got a million people and you're trying to figure out okay how do they do software development how many software developers do they have type of product do they have like all this stuff it's just not data that's widely available so Mm -hmm. it's, it's just hard it's hard to identify an exact market segment in some cases, we spent we spent a lot of time talking about this. I mean, I mean, a lot of different episodes have discussed TAM, T-A-M, total addressable market. And from the ground floor looking up, it's easy to stand there and say, wow, look at all these people we can serve. Look at there are, you know, if you, there's 400 million in the people in the U.S., you're like, wow, there's 100 million people that could use this. And then all of a sudden you realize you have to reach them. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned at the top of the episode, I was joking around about my mega campaign. Well, let's be realistic. Most of us don't have a Super Bowl ad budget. Most of us don't have that kind of stuff. There are very few companies and products that benefit from that wide of an array of customers. And they are things, they are like staple items like soda, food, restaurants, things that truly anyone can go to. And now you look at Stackify and application performance management, that would not be a very precise Super Bowl ad. I mean, you would be missing 99%. You would be lucky if 1% of those viewing were possible, were possibilities for receiving your message well. So Dana, is that the very, like, how do we narrow down our total addressable market? Like, and, you know, we're getting ready to be able to prepare it internally, but we got to get it to the right people before we worry about not being able to handle it at the comp- at the home office. Yeah, we typically go through a series with, with clients where we start talking about who's, first of all, who's your best customer? Who's the one that's going to buy it without question because they're already aware of the product or your competitors. They're already aware. They're in the market. They're already searching for it. So there's a lot of ways you can find that individual. Um, and we, we do the kind of the low-hanging fruit, and we give that guy a profile. Like, you know, his name is John, and this is what he believes, what he does, and how he acts. And these are the different steps we're going to use, and what percent of the budget do we want to use to go after them? And then you go for your middle of the road that are those that you can easily influence, but you've got to influence them. So you have to do some education. You might have to go after their decision makers or give them tools to enhance um, their ability to sell it to the decision makers and their business if you're not going straight to the decision maker. Um, And then what channels are they typically on? Is it digital? Is it social media, trade shows? How are we best going to reach those people? Um, and then we have those those hard to reach that we know that they could use it, but we got to spend some extra dollars and a lot of time getting, we have to cultivate that a little bit more. So we develop a lot of um, sales funnels where we automate those sales funnels and we use whatever resources we can to drive people into the sales funnel and we start automating that sales program. So then we can give your sales team, uh, here's those hot leads. This person has clicked on it. They've done this. They've watched a video. They've searched here. They've done the five steps we want them to do. It's a hot lead. Go after them. So it's kind of you use marketing and your sales team together um, so that not if people aren't wasting dollars or your sales team aren't wasting time on a bunch of cold calls. So we've kind of moved away from the cold call um, idea and, and straight into that really targeting those three individuals. And then anyone who falls out of those three people, we just kind of leave for a rainy day when we have extra budget or we've already capitalized on these or they just happen to see an ad even though we didn't intend for them to. Um, so we try to focus on those top three. Yeah, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And well, you should always be picking the low hanging fruit first. Yeah, I mean, yeah. isn't that before yeah. we're worried about a ladder or a rope and climbing the tree? I mean, if there's, if there's peaches all over the ground, pick those up and grab the ones that you can reach. And I think a lot of people look past that. And, you know, kind of like Matt was saying, 
uh, where are these thousand accounts that we're going to win four out of five on and getting yourself in front of that stuff is really important. Now I'm going to say it again. This is, I've said this so many times when it comes to marketing, there's three words that I believe in test, test, test. Mm -hmm. And you never really know. I think it's pretty easy to, to want You mentioned you have all these channels, you know? So when I first started in marketing, that's when people were still reading newspapers. Yeah. Now I say, what's a newspaper? Mm-hmm. But, you know, so I went through a transition where the people that I worked for at the time, I remember when the internet came out and, and the guy that I worked for or was literally told me the internet was a fad. And, you know, we didn't need a website. We didn't need all this stuff. And He's I was like, right now. well, because that is what had worked and what had always worked and we shouldn't get away from it. But mm-hmm. we were watching it fail. And, you know, this is in 2007, mm-hmm. you know, right around the, the housing bubble and financial crisis times, but which, which when that happened, okay, so that was our last major milestone for financial upheaval and it changed the way that people need to market. It actually affected Matt's business at the time, Venn Solutions, quite a bit because the auto dealers that they served were looking for, okay, all of a sudden they had to think a little bit more about what was a good expense and what wasn't. So with where are you seeing marketing messaging and your approach and strategy change in a COVID environment? Because we talked, we talked about keeping this, you know, if you, you can promote something, but if you can't handle the influx, uh, that's going to be a challenge because a lot of people are working from home, working from remote. They might not have the same kind of environment and communication. So where, where, how are you advising your clients when and where to change right now? It, some of it depends on where they're located. So we have clients across the country and even within you know the continental U- U.S., it still varies. So we're in the Midwest and the thought process and the technology access is way different on the coast. Um, and just the impact of COVID has even been way different on the coast um, or in different areas than it has here in the Midwest. Um, and then you look at, we have clients in Europe, and that's a whole different advertising um, phenomenon where email blasts are seen as intrusive. And so here in the U.S., you can send email blasts all day long and they can just opt out if they're not comfortable with it. So you have to know your market and the customers and where you're at and adjust your your offerings and your messages and even what channels you're using based on that market. And then when you look at a post COVID, I think that businesses, or at least what we have seen, they're coming back saying, okay, we lost an entire quarter of sales. Uh, Let's, let's make up for it. We still have the same goals at the end of the year financially that we had at the start of the year. So how can we make up a whole quarter of sales or do we have to just get the most out of it that we can? So we're dealing with a variety of, of issues where some are saying, let's blast it out and let's get it moving. We have other clients who are saying, ah, let's still hold that budget for a couple more months because people in our industry aren't listening yet. Um, So it's really hard to say a specific go after it here. What I have advised a lot of our clients to do that were kind of put on hold because we have a lot of B2B companies. Um, Our financial industry clients, they were booming. Of course, we had to just help them manage some of the loan requests that were coming in from a service standpoint. But our nonprofits and our B2B, they really have struggled over the last three months, some taking big hits if they were in the middle of a capital campaign um, or, or something, a major launch of a product. So what we've also asked them to do is step back and look internally. This is a great time to slow down. Um, while everyone is either working remote or sales are down, take a moment to look internally and make sure that your team is where it needs to be. Do you have the right people in the right spots um, for the great game of business? If you uh, ever refer to that, um, get people in the bus and uh, look at what can you do to streamline and um, streamline your sales department, your messaging, your delivery, um, look internally. And I think as business owners, that's something we always know that we need to do yet we rarely have time because it doesn't move to the top of the hot list. So we're always putting out fires. We're always trying to make sure we're not missing out on an opportunity. And we know in the back of our minds, we have got to look internally at our culture and are we able to maximize on any opportunities that come up. Um, So we've advised clients, take the time to do that now, and then let's bust out last quarter sales and see what we can make happen. So are you seeing, uh, you know, 
there's an old adage, you know, you put your sails up when the wind's blowing mm-hmm. and the wind isn't blowing in, in many parts of the sea right now. Mm-hmm. So are are do you see people retracting on their marketing commitments and looking to push those towards the end of the year and they're hoping to finish strong where the front of the year was weak? Yeah, I have to say every Thursday when our governor of Missouri did a press conference, I almost had to vomit because it was, I would get at least one or two calls from clients saying, okay, you got to put our budget on hold for another month. So that trickle effect impacts everyone. So one of our clients is a food service industry. So they prepare foods and they sell vending and markets in um, inside other manufacturing plants and um, kind of break room service. So of course they had to really tighten things up. But what we found Um, After I got over the shock of a third of my business just completely shutting down in the first week of COVID, um, what we found was that we could get a little innovative. So whenever, like, for example, with this food service company, how do we start preparing for more contactless approach? So when we come back to the different manufacturing plants and we start providing break room service again, How are we making sure that we are keeping everyone safe, that we're sanitizing, that we're doing as much contactless as possible? So I found that it really made people get innovative um, out of sheer need, which is sometimes um, good or bad on innovation. But our clients got really innovative. Um, Our nonprofit clients, we advise them to keep moving forward. Let's not do events. Let's not go door to door. But the need didn't change for what you were raising money for. And now more than ever, you can show the impact because people are listening. They don't have anything else to do. They're sitting at home. Um, so let's reach them while they're listening. So we found some some hidden gems in the midst of all of this. But I was really glad when the governor stopped saying we're keeping it closed for a while because that hits business hard. On that same subject, I'm seeing a lot of marketing messages shift and, you know, so in March and April, um, during these challenging times and, you know, and the way that it's phrased, I think that people, honestly, I think people are tired of hearing COVID-19 and coronavirus, like, cause it's, it's, it's become, it's feeling negative and it's been, it's obviously going to be something that is associated with negative outcome for quite some time. Are you also advising people to change the way that they're wording and phrasing things? Because you talk about spurring and stoking some innovation. But I think that like if I get one more email from someone telling me about how they're handling, you know, like at one point I was getting about eight emails a day Mm -hmm. and I don't need a daily email from American Airlines. So if American Airlines, if you're if you're listening, I quit fucking listening a long time ago. So, I mean, I'm being serious. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, American Airlines could be emailing to tell me that they're giving me a check for a million bucks and I'd miss it Mm -hmm. because I junked it, you know? So how do you get, how are you advising clients? Matt, I see you chuckling. Are you in that same boat? Yeah. And at Stackify, we, I think we did email our clients like, we're still here. (laughs) If you need help, we're still here. We're still operating. You know, That's a better approach than, than, you know, but, but like I said, it, it just felt like it, it was, as if, it was, if, you know, 30 different companies shared the same template and yeah. just filled in during these challenging times and, you know, and it's, we get it, but at, at what point does that become enough? And you have to move forward for, you know, saying, Hey, as, how about this? As we move forward, mm-hmm. you know, or as we look to a bright future. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Where do you, where have you made any adjustments or changes in and around clients' campaigns? Yeah, and I'll go back to it depends on where they're located um, and whether it's still a hot spot or not. So I think you have to go with what the majority of your audience feels. I rarely advise that you put a message out, especially with budget behind it, that impacts the extremes. Like go for the middle. Remember, you're trying to do sales. And if you lose a few people on the outer wings, you lose a few people on the outer wings. Um, But go for the message that's going to impact the most and where you think their mindset lies. Um, I mentioned before this this started that we work with a a rodeo and there's about 30,000 who come to that event. Uh, And there's some concerns for people coming through. And our message is then don't come. 
we're still going to hold the event and here are the 15 things we're going to do to protect you. But otherwise, this organization gives $200,000 back to the really small community and those nonprofits need it to survive. So if they don't have the event, there is a whole counter effect that happens where all of these nonprofits now can no longer provide essential services to their customers. So you have to look at what's worse, the, the virus or not having the event or not getting your message out. And I think, again, it depends on who your audience is, but I rarely suggest going to the extremes. Go to the middle where most of your yeah. customers are. I mean, the other thing that, that people don't think about with, with COVID and all that is pretty soon we're not going to have school districts, fire departments, police departments. Like, who pays all for all that, right? Our tax dollars, right? So, you know, if our cities don't make any tax revenue, our kids aren't going to school. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's the reality is is some people think we ought to just be in quarantine permanently for the rest of our lives. We but that's a tough that's a tough message to market though, Matt, because yeah. there's it's not as simple as like, you know, we've talked in the past about with when it comes to your marketing message and the way that you shape the facts around it and all that, like it has to be short and concise and you can't it's very difficult to put all of that in one line. Yeah. And that's that's mm -hmm. that's the hard part. And and then and then another thing too, it's much like Dana said, is okay, so when it comes to marketing for political stuff and i i really hate politics i'll be honest like i don't even i like i'm kind of cringing even talking about it but you look at at the famed cambridge analytica right who shaped elections and got got crushed for it and much like you said dana there's that middle and that's exactly these are these are people that that are that have no opinion so you're going to have some that are on the far extremes and for political marketing they actually consider people that had already decided on a party as being those extremes Here's a number of people that are going to vote Democrat. Here's another that are going to vote Republican. You're not going to change these people's minds. You have no chance. They're, they are who they are. And so here's people that are actually willing to listen to your message. And that's a key thing with marketing is are people willing to listen to your message? And can you deliver the message that you want? Well, let's look at So we live in a world of 1080 by 1080. And I don't mean feet. I mean pixels. That's the that's the suggested size for an Instagram or a Facebook image. 1080 pixels by 1080 pixels. And if you put too many words within those pixels, they won't even show your ad. Mm -hmm. So now you got to figure out to how to how to do something like market a podcast by simply saying a podcast for entrepreneurs. And that that's the hard part about marketing is when you leave it that open, you leave it open to interpretation to whoever gets it. Like I had actually, we had made an ad because, you know, Startup Hustle is, is recorded in Kansas City. Today is actually a big day for us because we announced that we're adding three additional hosts to our lineup. And this will come out well after that news has come out. But, you know, so it's like, um, you know, you talk about the Kansas City thing. So we had made a, 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 a ad that said a podcast for entrepreneurs. And then we consider Startup Hustle to be born in Kansas City. So it said born in Kansas City at the bottom. But if you looked at it, it said a podcast for entrepreneurs born in Kansas City. Uh, yep. So you, you just look at like goofy stuff. And that's like the only... Yeah. We only added three, technically four words to the bottom. But if you read it, if you just glanced mm -hmm. at it, it was like, hey, this is for you if you were born in Kansas if City. You're right? in Kansas City. Yeah. 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 And I posted that. And then I was like, oh, doesn't look right. So like <laughs> I said, there's that that open to interpretation, yeah, much like you said. Three hours. You're using, words. Yeah, right. You're using the rodeo as an example. And you're like, here are 15 things. So how do you, you know, how do you get that out there? And I, I, Dana, I think that your approach is like, Hey, look, if you're worried, don't come. Yeah. It's, it's simple. Um, you know, I love a good marketing message. Was it, which Dakota was it that had a, a crystal meth, uh, ad that it said meth, we got it. And it went viral. Yeah. And it was like, it literally it was either South Dakota or North Dakota, but they, I mean, it literally went viral because, uh, you know, it was like, I mean, they they were just saying like, hey, look, we got a problem here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so sometimes some, a simple message can be much better than others. Okay, so now back to our internal culture. 
Okay, so we talked about support. Um, I have worked at a company that I will not name that heavily marketed a product that didn't check with the supply chain and we were out of it after like a week with about a six month wait coming and the ad mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a simple, like it was a popular product and I, the marketing department assumed that it was always forever now and now and forever be in stock. Um, that is, that would be a marketing mm -hmm. fail. And actually uh, you, ho you even host a banquet uh, mm -hmm. cocktail. Was it cocktails and fails? Cocktails and epic fails. Mm -hmm. Yes. And all right. So we love talking about failure, right, Matt? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I just shared, I, I gave you an example. And like I said, I won't name the company, but I saw a product get marketed heavily that had a six, basically had a six month wait for mm -hmm. it to come in. Um, what are, what are some, what are some classic fails that we could create with a productive marketing campaign and an ineffective internal culture? Well, I think for one, just like you said, not delivering on the promise. So that's the biggest concern for me is can you handle what may happen with your marketing efforts? Um, and that's a little bit of arrogance on our side saying, hey, what we do for you is going to pr produce great results. So let's step back and make sure it's going to work first. Um, so that that would be, in my mind, an epic fail if your sales team wasn't ready or your service team, um, because in fact, that creates that internal implosion. Um, the other piece is if the, the company, your employees don't have buy-in, let's say it's a new product and they don't have buy-in. And so then they can't even publicly support it, whether it's a service or a product that you're launching. If they don't believe in it, then it's not going to happen um, well either. And then I would say a third one is not letting your employees know before you launch it. Um, I've had many examples where companies have launched a new product, service, a new brand campaign, something and their employees are hearing about it for the first time um, through the TV ad or whatever it might be. Um, so I think those are some things you have to step back and look at. Can we can we handle this? Um, and then what's that that chain of command for communicating any issues? So anytime you launch something new or you're doing a pivot as an organization, you're going to have some bugs. You're going to have some some kinks to work out. And I think a big thing for us is is looking at how do you how do you talk that through the right chain of command so that it gets addressed and fixed and isn't repeated? And if you don't have that process put in place first, then you're going to have a lot of unhappy customers on the outside and a lot of frustrated internal employees because they don't know what to do. They're not empowered to make the change that they need to. So those are some key things when we're looking at, at businesses. And one of the books that I uh, read back in the early days of my business was Blue Ocean Strategies. And I don't know if you've yeah. heard of this, but... I actually structured my business around this concept. And so just a, a quick review of that. So you look at if you're in a marketplace and you're providing the same service or the same product as many other companies, you end up in a red ocean. Eventually, you're all either trying to do better service, which means you need more people, so your overhead is more, or you're trying to cut, compete on price, which means everyone dies in the end because you can't make a profit. And so you end up in a red ocean. There's a bunch of sharks, everybody just going after each other, trying to undercut each other. The concept of Blue Ocean Strategy is that you move into a new market of uncontested space. So you remind people or you tell people you need this before they even realize that they need it. Um, so Apple did a good job with this with the iPhone. We didn't know we needed iPhones until Apple came along and told us that we needed six upgrades every two years. Um, and then Starbucks kind of did the same thing with their business. So I, I try to help. Um, not only my own company, and we've pivoted three times over the 12 and a half years um, to do a new uncontested market space when we started feeling competitors creep in. Um, and I think that that's something that companies have to look for, too. Are they launching, putting all this effort behind a product that's just not going to get them anywhere? Um, so making sure that they're, they're looking at their competitors and what field they're in, um, as well as internally. I'd like to iterate on some of the things you mentioned. You talk about not being prepared. Like, mm -hmm. um, so the, we're in a world, a, a golden age of connectivity and software platforms, CRM, sales, any, anything that you use to manage your business. 
uh, everything from inventory management is it's really sophisticated at this point compared to where it may have been 10 years ago. Now, 20 years ago, it wouldn't have it might not have been uncommon to launch a campaign. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, you could launch it and, you know, you were waiting for a fax to come through, you know, that might've had, Hey, this is this month's promotion, six months, same as cash, this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And you were relying on that being pinned to a bulletin board or copied and passed out to a, a, a room of, of people that were answering phones or making calls or something like that. And, you know, common failures that you could run into today might be like not putting specific payment terms or options into whatever system you use to take, uh, uh, you know, make sales through. If you, if you're an e-commerce merchant, it might be like advertising that you had a specific discount, but not activating it in your store. Yeah. And I mean, these things happen like they Mm -hmm. happen because it's one it's if they're two. And that's what happens when your departments get disconnected. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole bunch of different things. And, you know, we at full scale and I guess we should probably mention, Matt, 33 minutes in that this episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by FullScale.io where we will forget to read our own sponsor marketing. line in our own our uh, in our own in a marketing epic episode. Epic fail right there. Epic fail, right? <laughs> Fullscale.io, fullscale.io. There we go. We got hey, three times. Testimonial. There. I use Fullscale uh, for a software oh. that we're developing and I've used them for a year and a half and they are fantastic. I have used local, I have tried others and Fullscale delivers. Guaranteed. Awesome. Thank yeah. you for that plug. Yeah. Well, thank you for making up for my my uh, my inability to read my own sponsor line. That's right. I, get, I start right. talking about sales and marketing, and I get excited, and I blow past the the. Maybe you need stuff. me marketing now. Maybe see, I just hooked you up right there. Oh, uh, so maybe. One, so one of the things I was I wanted to mention in my career on the software side has always been trying to figure out how to work with marketing. And does the mar- does the marketing team always promise a bunch of shit that we don't really do? Mm-hmm. And then the development team, and it's really, it's a sales and marketing combination, both, right? Like the sales people and the marketing team are always out there making up all this shit that we don't do. And then somehow or another, we got to magically deliver this crap that we don't really actually do. Yeah. Um, that is always an interesting dynamic. And in some degree, you want sales and marketing to be out there to be the, you know, the, the, the tip of the spear a little bit, right. Of trying to figure out, okay, should we build this functionality? Should we do this? We should do that. Some trial and error. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's always like a delicate balance and had a lot of problems before where the sales teams just out promising crap we don't do. And now we got to work all weekend to make up this crap. Like it's a never ending problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw this with a, um, a very popular national hardware company brand. I won't name um, where they said, if you make an online order, it's guaranteed in two days. Um, what they didn't anticipate is that if people walked in store and made an order that was supposed to be delivered. That might hit the same day. So your delivery guys are working 12, 14 hours trying to deliver all these products that were promised. Their customer service is bad because they're ticked off and they're working extra hours. And then when they got back, HR hammered them for having overtime. And so it was this vicious cycle of no one, everyone's caught in the middle and no one really knows what to do. It never occurred to them to go back and change the marketing message or put a caveat in there. So I think sometimes marketing is the last to be addressed and you're trying to work internally to accommodate, like you said, but really you just need to go back to your marketing team and say, change this, fix this. This is not something that we can do or yeah. maybe it's worth doing, you know, but you got to well, have time explore that and put it in place well and it gets harder as you as you get to be a big company we had these problems at Venn solutions where it's like okay if we want to sell this new widget or this add-on or change the price it's like trying to re-educate all of sales and marketing and our website and like how we quote things and the pricing was like a giant exercise yeah like yeah. just trying to get that machine moving and re-educate everybody on this new thing that we sell and, and it was just a nightmare It is. And I think this is where outside people come in. So you bring kind of that outsider's perspective where you can see what's happening between the different departments and some of those conversations that need to happen and haven't happened. Um, So I think that outside perspective, a lot of times when you're doing something new or if you have a marketing campaign that's not working is bring someone in from the outside just to evaluate, just to give that 
that outsider feedback on here's what I see your challenges are and where you have those gaps. Um, sometimes that can speed you along real quick down that that channel um, versus you trying to move through it yourself, dealing with all the different emotions. Yeah. Can- well, and for sure, we are always too close to the problem. And we have a whole bunch of employees that are like, we're doing it this way because it's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Or if they have bonuses and sales goals. Those famous last words. Famous last words, yeah. by the way. Beep, oh, beep, yeah. beep, alert, alert. Famous yeah. last words. This if is you, the way we've always done it, and it's been successful. Yeah. If you famous last you words. Know. If you hear those words coming out of your mouth, then you have a high probability of going out of business. Yep. You got the one. The, you could, there's only one constant that you can count on, and that's change. Mm-hmm. Like. And you're going to have to evolve much like Dana said, you talk about the red, the red, the red ocean, the blue ocean, like, and I even wrote about this in million dollar bedroom, the moment that you're successful, you are firing signal flares up in the air telling everybody else I'm over here, I'm doing it well, we're successful, we're making money because here they come. Oh yeah. yeah, it's like they, the the flares fire off automatically. Yeah. They, you and don't I, even have to. You don't have to pull a trigger. You don't have to light a fuse. They're just everywhere. Yeah. And the more successful you are, the more competition. The, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna do it. So you have to always be thinking about what you're gonna do next, or you're gonna find yourself saying famous last words. Now, before I was an entrepreneur. I worked for uh, I worked in the music industry and I'm not the music industry that most people think about. I wasn't a recording artist. I wasn't a musician. I worked for musical instrument manufacturers. During that time, I saw an industry literally lose 65% of their locations of those. And that had just had to do with changing marketplaces, dynamics, uh, mix a financial crisis in. Everybody that most of the people that failed, I heard them saying, well, they were, they would say things like if things were just the way they used to be, well, they're not, they're not, and they're never going to be. So -hmm. you got to be ready to change. I know I sound passionate because I'm tired of hearing people say it now. um, So often I'm sitting and talking to any business and they sit around and they plan for the rainy day. Very few are sitting around and doing what Dana is suggesting. And what if the, what if something goes right? What are we going to do if things go right? If things go well? If we get what we want? And you know, I'm telling you, like, think about your own process. So many people do it. They're they're all on the rainy day side, trying to play defense over there. And then all of a sudden, there's no one down at the other end of the goal you know, the other end of the court and you could just be hitting layups and, and scoring, 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 scoring. And what, what, how are we going to handle that? If that occurs, what are we going to do? What's our game plan? You talk about being able to deliver. It's all really important. So once again, with us today, Dana Thomas, the CEO, founder, janitor, dishwasher, marketing technician, and lady in charge of bold marketing. You can go to getboldmarketing.com. Dana, I have a feeling you can help people about wherever they're at. So whether they're, you mentioned working with companies in Europe or right here in the, in the Midwest or anywhere. So I'm assuming any of our listeners can reach out if they want to get a little input from you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. So we end episodes of Start Apostle with what we call the founder's freestyle feel a little bit of a marketing twist coming on today, Matt. Do you want to go, do, Matt, do you have a coin? Mm. Uh, I do, I do. If, I got one. Okay. So, so heads, we'll talk about wins. Tails, we'll talk about fails. Flip that thing. T- heads. It's heads? Heads it is. <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk about a marketing victory. Matt, do you have any, in lieu of the founder's freestyle, what's something that you've done to be a successful marketer in the past? Well, for me, it's easy. It was content marketing. You know, and, and Dana mentioned it earlier. There's a lot of people in this world that hate advertisements. They hate spam. They hate all of it. And my customer base at Stackify is absolutely those people. But if they have a problem, they go to Google and they search for it. And if you show up on the first page of Google, you'll get some traffic, you'll get some, you'll get some interest and some leads. And so that was the big one for me was making the shift to that uh, content marketing has been uh, wildly successful for Stackify. We get millions and millions of website visitors a year from that. So, and it drives a lot of our business. So highly recommend it. 
Yeah, Matt, I, I got to give you a thumbs up because it was it was when I was interviewing you for Million Dollar Bedroom and you were telling me, Matt, sitting there and we're sitting at, at, a, at a little breakfast cafe and he's like, man, I'm so tired of paying Twitter and Google and all these places for all these CPC ads. I think I have a plan for getting us off of that. And, I, you know, I mentioned, I said, you know, these cost per click ads, I compare them to crack because... <laughs> They're really expensive and they get you where they get you high really fast and then leave you wanting more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's exactly what it is. So Matt was explaining to me how Stackify was going to roll out a long term uh, content marketing campaign. Two and a half years later, what you get 900,000 900, to 1.1 million visits a month. Is that a yeah, in the range? Park, yeah. Yep. So what would a what would a million organic hits to your website do every month? So just think about that. Now, all right, Dana, you're up. Uh, from a marketing success, is that what we're on? Yeah, we're we, we heads heads. So okay. we're so yeah, we fails with fails. We kind of advise. We don't do a whole lot of retail marketing just for that reason because you have to constantly have. Um, you're always in crisis mode, and it's hard to to step back and track that. Um, so when we look at, 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 at getting new customers, we always go with a very targeted approach. I'm a, I'm a big fan of getting rid of all the traditional, not all the traditional media, but minimizing your budget for traditional media and going towards very targeted approach. So a few years ago, we wanted to go after healthcare CEOs. And at, whenever I would call, they were always out to lunch. It could be three in the afternoon and the CEO was always out to lunch. Um, and so we did a very direct targeted campaign where they had to sign for it. And the first week they got in a nice box, a rubber steak on a China plate, cloth napkin, as said, are your current marketing efforts as, sat- as satisfying as chewing on a rubber steak? Didn't have our name, nothing on it. And then a week later, they got a bar- bottle of barbecue spices and it had, you know, like the bold blend on it. Again, no information about us. And then in week three, they got an actual dry ice T-bone steak. And um, with some message about it's time for us to meet. So the whole purpose of that was just to get the phone call. It wasn't to win them over. You can't do that on a targeted campaign. Um, and so it was just to get the phone call. And with the 10 that we sent out, we'd signed four of them up as clients. But I got, wow. phone, I got phone calls with all 10. Um, and so I think it was a very successful campaign. And it, since then, we have used that with a lot of our B2B clients and nonprofits going after very targeted customers. So that was a good win for us. Yeah, that sounds like it. I would have replied to that because it was actually clever mm-hmm. and different. And so, Dana, you mentioned blue ocean, red ocean. I've made a living in the blue ocean. And you talk about now that those blue oceans turn red in a hurry. Yeah. But you talk about just trying something different. And, you know, I look. it's a noisy world. And there's a lot of marketing out there. Um, if you listen regularly, you've heard me tell you that the average newspaper in a city could cover every surface in the average American home. So now, and then remember, those pieces of paper are two-sided. So now you have to go find your ad mm-hmm. in your house that's somewhere, and it might not even be showing. So how do you stand out? How do you, in digital media, the same way, you have the flashcard rule. Like however long you might see a flashcard is how long you're hoping the impressions that you've made actually last. So I've tried, I've tried a different approach. Um, I'm a big fan of experience based marketing, much like you sent someone a stake. I think one of the things that we've done in the last couple of years, well, first off the podcast hasn't hurt. That's done really well for us. Um, and thank you for everyone that supported <laughs> the same way that, that Matt mentioned, uh, producing content that actually matters, that, meaning like it's not just overly shilly. Like, let me throw myself under the bus. I waited till the 33rd minute to actually mention ourselves as the sponsor. That's me doing a shitty job. But still, it wasn't the main focus. If you can, pro- if you can produce something that helps other people get what they want, mm-hmm. it, and it can be a really good marketing campaign. I think one of the things I've enjoyed the most and that I missed the most as well on many days is we did sweet and greet. And the sweet and greet concept was interesting because I didn't invent the sweet at an event. I'm pretty sure the Romans and the Colosseums had sweets, <laughs> but, we, mm-hmm. but we changed the concept around. And I remember, Matt, do you remember when I was, when that first came up, I was like, 
okay, we're going to do, we're going to do suites. We want to get people in a room. We want to bring people together. We want to put them around influencers, entrepreneurs, and investors, and just see what happens. Like we want to be in a space where we're branded, but the whole thing was, is we tried to be very selfless about it. And whether you like the backstreet boys or not, you might come to a show just as much to goof off and have fun and drink our free beer as to see who you might meet in the full scale suite. And after a year, you know, we did about 80 events uh, between the Kansas city Royal stadium. I mean, I look back at that and we, and that's something that's absent from us. It was plucked away from us in, in March when they closed down all events. But I mean, we, we, I look at how many clients had come through the suite that, that, well, people that at the time weren't clients, but now are, we had the mayor, multiple mayors, different people come in and everybody, you know, I'm now starting to get, reports back people like well i i ran into so and so at the suite or did this or did that and you know not only did we have fun we created a bunch of memories and i mentioned like the backstreet boys dana if i took you to see the backstreet boys you wouldn't forget it whether you whether you're a fan or not and that's the whole point is is making that impression much like the whole steak Mm -hmm. like that's great that's the great, that's great. And we would do that. Uh, that was actually what made me want to write a book. Cause I had someone just one day I'm at my office and a book shows up in the mail and I was like, Whoa. And it was just a note written from, it was like, I think this could help you out. I'd love to chat with you. And I was like, okay, that's a good approach. And I, that's when I started looking into it. I was like, huh, that's a very interesting way. I found that with books and the mailing them, and I've, I've got a copy of it right here. Which, you know, when you write a book, most people send you pictures and show you how it fixes their crooked table or makes a good coaster or stuff like that. But here's the point. They didn't throw it away. Mm -hmm. So people don't want to throw away a book. It just feels weird. You feel like rotten. You're like, wow, I'm I'm one step away from burning this thing, you know, like, and it's just something we're trained not to do. So as I- Unless it's the yellow page. Unless- Oh, yeah, no doubt. True. True. Quit bringing it. Quit bringing it. If you're listening, I don't want it. Recycle it. But but the point, so as you know, in between like the suites and, and the books and stuff like that, I'll go to people's offices. I see it sitting up on the shelf and different stuff. And some of them I might say, did you re- did you actually read it? And they're, oh, I'm getting there. And then some people are like, yeah, I read it. I had a lot of fun. I, I, I loaned it to someone else and they read it. And, you know, so there's a lot of, I, I like things that are grassroots. I like I appreciate an attempt at clever, thoughtful marketing and things that help people get what they want. Not just like me, 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 like come spend money with me, 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 me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, overall, those are a few things and man, now I'm all fired up now. Now I want to, now I want to get after some marketing. I want to go and like, um, you know, and then, and then there are some things too. Uh, a lot of people asked me two and a half years ago that this podcast actually got traction right away. And people ask how we did that because we didn't spend any money. I went out and joined about 100 Facebook groups for entrepreneurs, startups, small business owners, stuff like that. And I, uh, as we did the first three to five episodes in that ballpark, I posted them in these groups and I asked for feedback. And I accomplished two things. One, I got feedback and I also got exposure and some early listeners to, and I think that's where that, that global presence came because we've had listeners in all 190 countries. Mm-hmm. Well, these weren't just groups that were in Kansas city. I mean, some of them were in India and, and just different countries and places. And it's been really, you know, test, test, test. You never know until you try. So, um, once again with us, Dana Thomas, go to getboldmarketing.com. You can learn more about Lots of stuff and things that I'm positive Dana would love to talk to you about. So start by going to the website, link in the show notes. I'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.